Hi, this is Michael. Welcome to almost the final webinar. This time I had a guest called Bruno De Smet, and he's really specialized in everything that has to do with corporate sales. So selling to corporates and selling to corporates is a bit of a different breed because we have to talk about hierarchy. We have to talk a lot about techniques. While Bruno is talking, I'm kind of annoying him with questions from the audience the whole time. So it became a very interactive, very interesting uh, recorded webinar. I know it's still a webinar. I promise to come back with real podcast after this one, but it had so much value. I wanted to share it with you. Enjoy. Welcome all on our Friday webinar. It's almost the last episode of the series, uh, my dear friends. And I didn't want to do this alone. And of course, I know a really, really good expert in everything that has to do with selling to corporates and i couldn't resist so i asked bruno of the house of sales to join me uh, in this webinar and i'll introduce him straight away first as usual i'll do an introduction i'll give a few slides i give a few comments and then bruno gets half an hour 35 minutes of your time where it's going to go deep into details as usual if you have questions just throw them in the chat or ask them on the questions tab at the end there is lots of time to go into more detail. So let me start and then introduce Bruno. So one of the things we gotta remember is the moment we start going to corporates, we are in a different ballgame. One of the issues, one of the issues you'll have is it will take you a lot longer to get deals closed. Two, the amounts will be much higher. And three, the combination of those two actually results in the fact that there's a lot of hierarchy in large corporates, a lot of people that you need to get through, you need to convince, you need to talk to. So what I wanted to quickly run through is a framework that works in 95% of the cases where later on, uh, Bruno will actually go back to at certain stages so you really so we all all talking about the same framework so you have the whole marketing side we start talking to people and then we get into the qualification there are many many methodologies to do qualification here i basically mentioned bump uh, do they have budget are you talking to the right authority is the need there and can we close in the reasonable time frame and that time frame is of course one of the big issues average deals in corporates depending a bit on the amount you're talking between nine months to 18 months and and, and Bruno will address this a bit later. But time frame is an issue. So one of the questions I have, of course, for Bruno later on is, is there a way to shortcut time frame, if it is possible? Two, the major issue that you have in order to speed up deals and to make sure they want this is, of course, do they really need it? Figuring out the need is of absolute essence. And of course, authority, am I talking to the right person? Where is that person on the level? Well, that is actually an art on its own. Then you go present your solution or your product, or you do a demo of it's a software or your services, you make a quote, you move to negotiation where you start actually discussing. That's where it's gonna take the longest time. Actually, they say yes or no. If they say yes, don't start partying, start partying when the deal is closed. What you will get a lot is deals that go in the fridge. And uh, that means that a lot of these deals will kind of get stuck and they won't move. And the reason for that is because either you're not talking to the right person, the need is gone, there could be something wrong with the budget. In essence, 
you're stuck. And if that takes too long, I don't want you to leave it into your pipeline because it's going to pollute your numbers. What you do is you pull it out and you put it in a category. Uh, if you use PipeDrive, it's going to be rotten, for instance. I think HubSpot calls it, uh, they have a different name for it. But anyway, I call it nurture. Basically, what happens is you put the deal there and that is where your marketing department or you as a sales every quarter will go back and try to send them some communication, ask them, hey, how are things going? But you kind of keep them in the loop. There's lots of technique how to do that. Uh, I think Bruno touches upon that. Uh, ask me at the end. I'll give you some really uh, tips and tricks to do that properly. Uh, if you're asking me next, so what's, uh, what's an average hit ratio? So you know, um, from most of the companies I've dealt with, the pretty good ones are around 15%, one five. So that means if you have 100 deals in qualification, you'll be able to land 15. Now, Bruno and I can discuss at length because, of course, that depends on what type of deal and who you're talking to. Now, I wanted to go into one very important element that is hierarchy because it's a question that keeps coming back. And, and in one of the previous webinars, when I was talking about uh, sales presentations, you've heard me talking about it. And I'm going to do the same story because it's important you really understand how this works. Any company, especially a big one, has many layers. And you go from a strategic layer, the C-suite, the board, the execs, to an operational uh, level. And the thing is, both of them need a different pitch. So what we have as a pitch on the strategic side is always only two options. Either they care about top-line revenue, the promise of new, or they care about cost reduction. It's only those two you have to play with. And their language is no details, please, 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 no details. Uh, strategic vision, graphs, charts, ROI numbers. If we then go to the operation side and you would take the strategic story and you move that to the operation side, they look at you and think, what the hell is this person talking about? Or will you bring me even more work, right? So you cannot do that strategic story. You need to do another story. And the story is really about the operational problems and solving short-term issues. A lot of scale-ups I see make that mistake where they, where they come in and they basically say, we have the best solution and we're the smartest and we have 80 PhDs. Uh, and, and they don't realize that they're actually putting themselves in competition with the team. And you don't, you should never do that. You, you should, you need to realize that the team, you need them to push you to validate whatever offer you have, and you should not discredit them. So it's very important in a lot of corporates when I'm, when I'm in teams and I'm looking and I'm trying to do my value proposition, I do not bring people in discredit. I understand you're the best and the smartest. You might not want to phrase it that way, right? You want to make them the star. At the end of the day, it's very simple. You want to make money. What's their language? Short-term goals, operational problems, and real cases. Now, without further ado, the one thing you got to do here is you have to create material for the approving manager. So in many cases, when I'm sitting with an exec, I'll probably send them some stuff that they can use for the operational guys. And when I'm sitting with the operational guys, I'll send them material that they can use to get the approval from the exec. Because if you just send them what they want, yeah, you'll never get an approval. You have to do the translation for them. So remember, always motivate the decision maker. Now, I went very fast and I because I wanted to give the stage to my good friend Bruno. Bruno and I, we had um, we we've been working uh, for a while together, and it's funny because the first time ever somebody said to me, "Do you know Bruno? 
he is pure competition. He's doing exactly the same thing you're doing. So of course, Bruno and I got very excited and we said, we want to meet each other. So he had to do a speech. I had to come after him. Of course, my speech was way better than Bruno's at Bruno, but <laughs> we don't see each other as competition. I think we actually, we do two things off a spectrum. And I think combining us in one room, in one webinar actually will give you an entire spectrum. So Bruno, as promised, I give you the stage. All right. I hope my screen is visible, Michael. Right. Okay. Uh, thank you, Michael, for your smashing introduction. I appreciate. Uh, but also thank you to the invisible audience of being 69 right now to participate. Uh, and for investing your valuable time uh, with the number two in sales. Hope you all get inspired. And my hope is also that you get three takeaways out from this webinar to grow your sales DNA when dealing with corporates. I have prepared a series of topics. And uh, to start with, let's do some set the scene. What are the specifics when you are selling to corporates? Okay. Uh, next point on the agenda is to have a word on the context the corporates are in, because if you understand the context they are in, you can better anticipate their expectations. 5% of all sales out there uh, can claim to be sales professionals and they all share four specific qualities. So what are these four qualities that typically um, typecast uh, Johnny Super Sales? Um, maybe also interesting is the next item is what do we hear from our clients? What are, are the ambitions of our clients? And we have two segments. We have the growing companies and we have the corporates. So what do they expect? What do they uh, want to achieve? And finally, and maybe the most important is, of course, understand what your questions are. I think Michael is following up on the chat. So drop your questions in there. We will try to handle as much as of um, as much as questions in the webinar. But the ones that are not uh, coming on uh, on the scene, we will follow up, follow up on them later on. All right, set the scene. So what is the context when you are selling to uh, corporates? And as said already by Michael, there is uh, a lot of complexity in there. Because if you are selling to SMBs, in average, you have in between two and four stakeholders to convince. But when you are dealing with corporates, uh, in average, you are at six, seven stakeholders. And they all have individual agendas. And on, on top of that, there is always one guy that is born against his will, right? And you have to bring these six, seven stakeholders with individual agendas into a consensus. You have to lead them into a consensus in your favor. So yes, it's true, there is a lot of complexity. Another uh, specific is that it seems that doing business with corporates is a never-ending story. And also, Michael was referring to that. It's extremely complex. It's taking a lot of time. Um, 
because of the fact that they have, uh, of course, and maybe also they, they come to you saying, yeah, but we have other priorities, etc., uh, etc. Et so the big challenge there is not only to create sense of importance, but at the same time also uh, create sense of urgency. It must be painful. No shit, no business. And of course, uh, procurement will look around the corner because if your offer is considered as a capital expenditure, as capex, for sure they will look around the corner. Now we have a certain perception about procurement people like rebate naggers, but besides uh, making a good deal, they have a series of other KPIs you can have impact on. And I'm referring to uh, the level of proactivity that you prove to show, or uh, others are your the level of after-sales services that you can provide, uh, your scaling capacity, your proximity, your financial soundness. So there is a whole series of expectations. There is a whole series of KPIs behind, uh, besides only having uh, the best price to offer. So what is my recommendation when you deal with purchasing is to pick the right time when you talk to them. So first of all is when there is no deal on the table, right? If there is no deal on the table and you show interest in how they acquire from suppliers, understand their processes, understand their KPIs, it will be very charming to the purchasing guy and will probably uh, become your internal lead generator. Another ideal moment is when the business already have decided to work with you, right? So you only talk and only then you only talk to procurement once the business have made up their decision in your favor, because then at that moment in time, your seat is at the same level as the seat of the purchasing guy. And that purchaser, that buyer cannot fail in the negotiation because otherwise he needs to return to the business saying, your preferred partner, I didn't come up uh, with a deal with that person. So they fail, right? Um, next one, competition is all over, right? Uh, of course, because uh, these corporates have nice logos you want to have on your website. Um, my recommendation is always praise the competition because your own credibility will grow if you praise the competition. <laughs> Thank Next you, Bruno. Thank you. You're setting the scene here, right? <laughs> Next one is ROI is always ruling. Okay, so it's extremely important that you do a proper diagnosis with your uh, customer, of your customer, to clearly understand how you can bring value to his business. And another possibility is simply invite your client to participate to help you build the business case. My recommendation there is uh, try to come up with an ROI below 12 months because if they start earning money within the same fiscal year, you will probably be on their budget. Or if you succeed to align in time their uh, returns and their investments so that there is no upfront investment needed, 
they will probably do business with you. So normally, in, an, uh, in a normal setup, I would ask uh, you guys if there is any, uh, any questions there, but unfortunately, I'm talking to a slide set. All right, what is the context the corporates are in? Well, we can say that humans live longer, but corporates die sooner. If we look to the Fortune 500 list of 2002, 52% of the companies in there do not appear anymore in the latest Fortune 500 list. They have disappeared. And they have been replaced by newcomers that back in 2002 did not even exist. Okay? So it means that competition is everywhere for the corporates, right? Today, they experience a lot of competition from startups and a lot of competition of uh, uh, scale-ups, growing companies, right? So this is a little bit the context to understand where their expectations are coming from. And the first thing they expect from you is make us understand your relevance from day one. Be crystal clear because their uh, span of attention is extremely limited. They get approached by so many different companies. So you have to be clear from the first moment. A second expectation, they expect you to be a sounding board for them. So don't position yourself as a consultant, right? But uh, position yourself as um, a person inspiring them. Uh, a business partner, like in sports, right? Because they want to learn from you. So this is extremely important to keep that in, 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 in your mindset. Um, they also expect you to understand their processes. They want you to understand their request for information process, their request for proposal process, because you can have a massive impact before, during, and after. Next one, uh, of course, you have to prove your impact on uh, KPIs. Um, bear in mind, not only, let's say, the company KPIs, not only the company objectives, but uh, at least as important as that are the, the KPIs on personal level, the, the KPIs of your um, personal contacts, right? Okay, what are their personal ambitions? And last but not least, they expect you to uh, position yourself as a partner. They want to get rid of a lot of suppliers. So they want to heavily reduce on the number of suppliers they work with. But on the contrary, they are in a continuous seek for new partners. They are very open to uh, go in a partnership together with you. I hope, Michael, am I clear so far? Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I can I uh, can I ask you immediately a question of yeah. Michael? He says, so with all the stuff you're saying, no more consultative selling approach. Well, uh, I'm coming back in that in a, in, a, in a second because this is one of the next slides that um, okay. I prepared Perfect. for you, and it's related to uh, I think quality number uh, up number number one I think. So, a little bit more patience, Michael. Oh, what it's, not me, eh? it's not me, it's not me. It's one of the questions of the, 
one of the questions in the chat. All right. So what are the, uh, the four qualities that typically um, can be, uh, let's say, assigned to Johnny Super Sales? Well, first of all, um, demonstrate that you are an expert in the business of your clients. Okay. Let me illustrate this in the next triangle. You have three ways of approaching your client. First of all, product approach, solution approach, and finally, client approach. And based on these, you have different perception in the eyes of the clients, of the corporates, and you will have a different outcome. So the first approach is you prove to be an expert in your product, in your solution. Okay, you know all the ins and the outs of your product and your solution. So the perception of the client will be that person is an expert, right? And if they have the perception that you guys are an expert, they will refer you to their experts, right? And you will have feature battles. The only way to win there is to have to give massive discounts. And why is that? Because products are all lookalikes. So it's extremely difficult to differentiate yourself based on the quality of your product because the quality is the Olympic minimum or the features. So it's extremely difficult. So in the end, you will have to give a discount. When you get a little bit more maturity, they learn you to ask questions to come with an answer or a solution. Perception of the client will be, ah, that sales guy is a problem solver, right? And they will refer you to the line of business responsibles. Why is that? Because the problems always reside somewhere in the business and you will have line of business talks, which is good, of course, but the disadvantage is you don't listen to what your customer is saying. Because if I'm asking a question to Michael, and Michael is returning some uh, feedback to me, I'm already thinking in my brain, what answer should I provide? What solution should I come up with, right? But I'm not listening anymore to Michael. So this is a huge disadvantage of solution selling. Uh, also, the customer feels that Anytime when he's sharing a piece of information, immediately you are there with your offer. Immediately you are there with your product or your solution. So the 5% sales professionals, they actually spend 100% of their time focusing on the client. So they will ask questions, not to come with an answer or a solution, but they will ask questions to understand the client, to understand the plans, to understand the projects, to understand the ambitions, and to understand the KPIs, not only on a corporate level, but also on a private level. So they will ask the person in front of uh, them, they will ask, when are you doing a good job? And when the customer feels that you are concerned about their success, you get trust. By the way, I hate the word trusted advisor, but you get trust from the moment on when the customer feels that you are concerned about their success. And then you have a seat at the C-level table, okay? So to answer the question of Michael, 
solution selling? Is it still or consultative selling? Is it still valid? The answer is yes, because uh, decision makers appear to be at the three levels. So amongst the six or seven stakeholders that you have to bring to consensus, you will probably have one or two residing on this level, one or two or three on this level, and one or two on this level. So you have to cover the three levels and you have to focus on and what the product can bring and uh, come with a proper solution to have an impact on the ambitions of the business and of course also look forward and position yourself as a partner for that corporate. So you right. yeah. a question, one question here uh, from you. What are your recommendations for acquiring the skills of a trusted advisor? Um, okay, this is, a good, this is an extremely good question. It requires a lot of business maturity, right? Because most people, the young people, when they start in a sales position, first thing they do, they give a product training, a lot of product training. And for weeks, for months, product training, product training, product training, product training. And then all of a sudden they said, now you have to go uh, to solution selling training. Okay, you have to ask questions, you have to ask questions, understand, discover the needs, discover the pains and come with solutions, right? The upper level is, of course, asking questions to explore on the plans and the ambitions of your client. And that's way, uh, uh, that's far away from the ego position. So it requires a lot of business maturity. Um, it's something that you will learn over time, right? It comes with the experience that gradually you move up the ladder, okay? So that's, that would, is, I, don't, I don't know if this is an answer, a proper answer to your question, uh, Michael. Uh, it's a question to, uh, on, on uh, Joop van Schalke's uh, answer. I think actually it does. You're basically saying patience and a lot of experience helps a lot. Yeah. Um, I had another question here, uh, and then I'll let you continue. Um, uh, from Yassin, who should be the first person you contact in, in a corporate? Is it, is it the CEO? Is it just below? Is it the midfield? Which, where do you aim the gun when you start from nowhere? Yeah. That's a good one. This is a very interesting one. You have two options, bottom-up or uh, top-down, right? Um, the advantage of bottom-up is that when you start at the operational level, you can have uh, fast access to these people. Right? Because most of the time they are rarely contacted by suppliers, uh, so you have fast access, right? They are readily, readily available to receive you. Uh, the evening they will go home and say to their wives or their partners, uh, saying, uh, you know what, I've been approached by one of the suppliers, they want to meet with me. They are so proud that, that an external company wants to meet with them. Uh, next advantage is they share everything. Uh, most importantly, the things they should not share with you. So they are very open. Uh, I have a lot of uh, org, org, uh, org charts in my office here. I collect these org charts at this level. They give me that information, whereas they are not supposed to do so, right? So, and they provide you a lot of ammunition to prepare your value proposition to go higher in the organization, right? So they are very open. It's an extremely solid way to collect a lot of information, a lot of ammunition to strengthen your value proposition and to go uh, higher up. Um, when you go top down, you can do that. For instance, um, Michael, you give me a, ref a reference to a CEO of a company. Mm -hmm. I will go top down because I got referred. Okay. 
Um, what is the, um, the disadvantage? You only have one chance. So you have to properly prepare yourself. When you meet with a C-level, you have to read the newspapers because everything that is published in the newspapers that is in the mind of the C-level, right? They are concerned by it. So prepare yourself. Typically, one of the things I also see is when you go to sea level straight away is most of the time with an introduction, then then and you tell your story, but it's sometimes without context. Exactly. Right? Somebody said like, "Hey, this this dude Michael or Bruno can do this," and then you kind of do, and then then they go in at the end. They ask, "So what? Can you make me a, an offer?" And then you send them an offer, and then they they it's like they don't trust it. They don't know what it is. And I've I've had it very recently again, and then the funny thing starts is then if you go down a bit, is the people in the mid level that will push you up again. And then they create a context for the offer. And, and, and sometimes, and I, I, one of my issues always, Bruno, you know, I'm very impatient. I try to shortcut. And, yeah. and the one thing I learned is there are no shortcuts. You have to go through the, the bloody process. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Because uh, stakeholders are at different levels in this triangle, right? And you have to deliver a different kind of job, like product focus, solution focus, and client focus. You have to deliver the tree. I'm not saying that you should do all the tree. You can have colleagues covering uh, some of the stakeholders in the client. Um, but it's extremely important. You only have one chance. And C-level people, sorry for it, but they are quite nar narcissistic. So they are only interested uh, to hear things about their belly button. So if you are not well prepared, and 95% of the conversation will go uh, about their belly button, button. So you need to be well prepared. You need to have the context. Otherwise, you're out in five minutes. Yeah, agreed. Okay. No more questions for now. So. Okay. So as I said, second quality of um, the sales professional, they are task and people oriented. But what does it mean? They will ask questions to discover the needs and the pains, and they will come with solutions. They will do that. That's the Olympic minimum. But besides that, they will also be very much people-oriented, like compare it with a doctor and his patient, right? Consider the client as his patient and be interested in that very important person being the patient or your client, okay? Be concerned about the success of uh, your client. So one of the questions I always ask myself when I meet with a customer or with somebody with a stakeholder is when are you doing a proper job? When are you successful? What are your personal ambitions? When do you get an, an excellent performance evaluation from your boss? Okay. Uh, when the customer feels or the contact feels like I'm concerned in his success, he will buy from me. So you know the credo, Michael, uh, the new selling is not to sell them. <laughs> yeah, I heard it too from somewhere. Exactly. If you I read it in a book, uh, Bruno. <clears throat> exactly. If you are people-oriented, people will buy from you. Okay, so they combine the two, task and people-oriented. Third quality, they are always in control. They are, they are extremely strong in forecast accuracy. Right? And why is that? Because there are two processes there. First of all, there is the sales process, their sales process, doing the right things right at the right time with the right person, right? So it goes from segmentation over enter, uh, top down, bottom up, trigger, 
the other person make sure that in, in within 20 seconds you have a meeting over the phone uh, diagnose the client and uh, create sense of importance and sense of urgency identify the stakeholders do a proper qualification this is the lead stage blue and yellow then move to the value proposition come with the benefits that you can offer mobilize each of the stakeholders identified in a consensus in your favor finally make your offer and not before that i only make an offer when the customer did say to me it's fine Bruno. we want to do business with you so this is this is great fun eh? i only make proposals sitting in front of my television with champions league on the on the on the background and drinking a triple beer so it's nice because i i rarely make proposals and each proposal i make is a win right so i'm very restricted in making proposals it's too time consuming then of course you will have some uh, objection you know one of the one of the things with the with the proposals is a lot of sales they kind of every meeting they do they say let me make a proposal and they'll and they'll they they take all the work on them and then they they in the crm they fill in yeah i mean the quote yeah. but if the customer is not asking for it she should not ever do it because it's a lot of work and you're yeah. basically if you give it too early it, it can be really dangerous for your sales cycle yeah well it's 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 related to the fourth quality of the sales professional so you are always anticipating or ahead of one slide michael <laughs> um so in the end you will have some objections you will have to negotiate and you have to close but from the client uh, perspective as certainly in corporates they also have a process their purchasing uh, uh, process that buying circle that first of all they look outside and they see that there will be some evolutions and revolutions opportunities and threats then they make a sort right what are these what are our strengths and weaknesses compared to the opportunities and threat in and strengths we have noticed in the outside world right um and where is the gap what do we we have to do something because our strengths and weaknesses are not strong enough to deal with the evolutions and the revolutions uh, we have uh, explored in the outside world then they will inventorize all their projects right they will make priorities because time and money is limited so typically what happens after summer holidays they do the budgeting rounds then they will um, put together their functional and technical requirements then they start studying then they gonna and they come to your website read your uh, research notes white papers and things like that finally they will invite you then they will align what they need with what you offer then they will meal then they will establish a shortlist then they will put a one two three and then finally they will engage so the sales professional is in control over both processes what does it mean each time when he meets with his clients with the corporates with his contact he will ask where are you in your buying process for instance i'm here okay what can i do mr customer to help you move to the next stage so the sales professional will lead the contacts the different stakeholders through their buying cycle so that when they want to close the customer is ready to engage Bruno, two questions 
Uh, I see people are still zooming in on the pricing and the quote. Uh, question one, and maybe it's in the next slide, so you, you tell me. Question one from Gauthier, what if the customer asks for a proposal, but you feel it is more to get an idea of the price of your pro product? It's like, for me, budget assessment kind of, eh? well, exactly. just to know. What do you do? Yeah, that's, well, again, next slide. Okay, uh, I'm just going to stop. So you do next slide and then I'll go back to price. If I don't deal with it, uh, you have the right to, to interfere, right? Okay. Uh, so the, the, the second thing, and that's also really, um, in sync with, with what I'm talking about, about being in control, that is uh, a sales professional, sales professionals that want to enter in the blue stage, right? And why is that? Because they want to impact the functional and technical requirements before all the others are invited. So sales professionals are extremely strong in entering uh, their corporate customer very early before all the others are invited. And so they have an impact on the requirements, functional and technical requirements of their clients. Again, they are in control. Next slide. So I have to make up my promises now. Um, fourth quality of the sales professional, dare to say no, but always leave it, right? Always be leave it with the client. Uh, don't be arrogant, uh, but put your seat at the same height as your client. By the way, the client will only do business with suppliers uh, that put their seat at the same level as theirs. They won't do business with uh, a partner that is putting their seat on top or below. So put the seats at the same level. So they will say no, for instance, to a customer or a potential client when that client is not in their segmentation, right? Um, if, if a pharma company is coming to me, uh, I will probably say no because I'm not familiar with their environment, with their context. Another, uh, and now I'm re uh, probably answering to your question, I'm saying no, or the sales professional is saying no when he gets an early request for price or proposal, when it's too early, right? Uh, because if you give a price too early, that price is always in the mind of the client saying, I don't have the budget, I don't have the budget, it's too expensive, it's too expensive. So you have to, first of all, bring the value and prove the value that you can bring to their business, valorize it in euros, and then you come with your price. Because if you come with your price from the start, the customer is not listening anymore to you. Okay. So, Bruno, let me quickly jump on that because actually you answered the question of Nelson and Gauthier. One of the things, it, it all depends on the on, on how big the deal is, right? So if it's rather small, and what is small in this context, somewhere at 15 to 25K, which would be small in a corporate environment, I would sometimes do this as pure qualification. I'll, I'll don't, I'd say, look, you have to think for a similar company or a similar project, what you're doing, the budget should be somewhere, will be around 20 to 30K because I want to watch them in the eyes. What, and if they move backwards, I know it's never going to happen and I don't spend time on them. If they actually, you see them like going, uh-huh, you know, shit, I should have asked more, but <laughs> at least you can put them to the next. So if you use it in that context, I agree. But if you're there for three, 400K, that is very difficult. You cannot commit to something like that because you would look like an amateur if you say, yeah, and you start shouting some, some of those big numbers. 
Yeah, exactly. And again, most of salespeople are so eager to make a proposal. Mm. They, even, they even propose, as you said, uh, they even propose to make a proposal to the client. I, do, I, I hate to make proposals. I like to make proposals when I got a go from, from the client saying, okay, Bruno, it's fine. When, you, when can you start? And by the way, can you put it in written? Okay. Yeah. But be careful when you give your price in the first meeting, right? Without any context of value that you can bring to them. If they don't have the budget for you, because there is always budget, but if they don't have the budget, or if the amount seems too high, right? It's end of story. But by the way, there's a fantastic comment in the chat now, Dominique. He says, when I was a head buyer, I was making a sport of destabilizing salespeople by speaking and asking for price. Exactly. Right? I can and, imagine and, that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things, I don't, are you talking about procurement later? Because I have a... Yeah, we can handle. Well, most we have an important part after the after the okay, presentation so where we can. You continue. Uh, I'll shut up. Keep the flow. All right. Okay. Another way of saying no or moment to say no. Typically, uh, the guys um, seeking full attention. So saying to you, uh, Michael, I'm your I'm the responsible for this project. I'm your single point of, of contact. You should not meet with other people in the company. Simply, don't accept that. It's too dangerous. You have to talk with, as I said, uh, in SMBs, you have to talk to, uh, to two to four people. And in um, big corporates, you have to talk to average six, seven uh, stakeholders. So if you only talk to one guy, you are not in control. They say no. Um, they're also very strict in qualifying a lead into an opportunity. They want to they wanna win more. Sales professionals win more and they want to lose earlier. And that's exactly the moment when they lose. They decide when they pull out of the opportunity. Um, another moment a sales professional is saying no is, um, okay, send me your proposal by email. I never ever send my proposal by email. I always ask before I start uh, making my proposal, when do you have 15 minutes for me to go over my proposal? And I do it for two reasons. I want to observe the body language of my clients. If you send it by email and your client is having a micro expression like this, you haven't seen it. So I want to see the micro expressions of my client. One, and secondly, it gives me the chance to right size uh, at the very end to right size my proposal. Uh, Bruno, another one, one of the things that happens a lot is, um, and I see that most of the time in the startup technology space, is that suddenly companies start to sell to the supplier. So they, they, they start saying, hey, and if you then, if, if we then, and they make it massive project and we can go there and there, we talk to all these customers. For me, that's also like a big red warning flashing light mm -hmm. where I say your job is then to make to do a first step because it gets too big, you, you lose. You, you got to go back to a first step. And if they start selling to you, you know there is interest, but you might be with the wrong person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's typically what is called uh, in the challenge of sale, they call this guy the, your friend. Eh? Yeah. Your yeah. friend. The, 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 in the first contact, you have the impression that he knows you already for 20 years and is very open in sharing information with you. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, uh, sales, profession, uh, sales professionals 
uh, always say no uh, when they get a request for a discount. Never, ever give a discount. I give a discount when I decide to give a discount to my clients. Uh, but I never, uh, if, if, if clients are asking me for a discount, if they think about asking me a discount, I raise my price each time when I hear the word discount by 10%. Right. And why is that, uh, Michael? Because if you prove your value to the, to the business of your clients, if you prove the value to the business of your clients and you valorize this in euros, I am sure that at least the revenues, the returns that you will get for your clients is at least 10 times higher than your price. So there is no reason to give a discount, right? If you allow your customer to, to win, to have a return of 5 million, and you are asking for 1 million, even if the amount is 1 million, there is no reason to give 1 euro cent of discount. And I will illustrate this with a, a crazy example I had uh, many, many years ago with the owner of a private jet company, right? Uh, so the, the renting a seat in a private jet may sound horribly expensive, right? Except if you valorize the benefits of flying private jet. It's all about saving time of the CEO, saving time of the businessman. Because if you fly private jet, you have to be there only 15 minutes in advance. If you fly with Ryanair, you have to be there two hours in advance. Right? A private jet is bringing you everywhere where you want them to bring you, right? Any, any, any place where they can land and take off, they will bring you. you. So you have direct flights. If you take Ryanair, you probably have one or more connection flights. It's consuming time. Another example is you have Wi-Fi on board in a private jet. You can continue working, again, saving CEO time. If you add up all these values in terms of saving CEO time, it is justified to fly in private jets. Even from the start, you, you, would, you would say like, yeah, but renting a seat in a private jet compared to Ryanair, it's stupid, right? It's, 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 it's a loss from the start, okay? So again, sales professionals, they say no, but always leave because they always say no to their clients. Um, in diff at different occasions. I, I put in the chat the link to, I did an interview with Rudy Peters, who's the CIO of KBC, and I asked him the question, how should I sell to you? And one of the questions is, why on earth do corporates always ask for discounts, and especially procurement and all of that? And he answered with a very bl blunt statement. He said, if you're that convinced of your value, you should not discount. Exactly. And, and uh, I put the link in the, in the chat and it's very interesting to hear him tell that story. And, and you think, yeah. God damn, why have I been facilitating procurement so much? <laughs> again, again, procurement, um, if you bring a lot of value to their company, and as I said before, there are many, many, many different KPIs that purchase because the reality circle, you saw the circle I have presented, was built together with four purchasing professionals, right? So... It I know from them that besides making a good deal, 
they have other uh, other important points of attention. A question uh, Tom asked just is he said it's it's sometimes in tenders and pitches you gotta outline your discount strategy, right? And it's, it, it it and and he says. How does it resonate with the st story you tell? Because it's, there is hardly any context. It's very time consuming. Would you participate on this type of sales or walk away? Yeah, that's again, a strong question. Um, participating to uh, an RFI or an RFP, I will only do it when I had the opportunity to talk with all the stakeholders in advance, because I want to know everything that is not written in the RFI or the RFP documents. And if I don't get the chance in advance to talk to them, to make already a difference in advance, I don't participate, right? I made a failure myself. A few years ago, I was called by a company saying, ah, Bruno, you have to participate to an RFP because we got your name from a previous boss. So that was very charming. I get a reference uh, from my previous boss and he insisted four times, yes, but your previous boss said you have to participate. But I didn't have the chance to have any contact in advance. The end result was I lost. So I asked them, why did I lose? You were more expensive. I was, I made a fool of myself. I said to myself, if you are saying to all your customers that you, you don't participate, except if you have the opportunity to have discussions in advance, and now you're doing making these mistakes, you know what? I was so angry that I said each time you're sharing this mistake with your clients. One of, one of my hardest lessons was I was uh, in a company called Kofax and we were selling document management solutions. So I go into a large bank in the Netherlands and I make my offer and saying something, 850,000 euro. My competitor makes his offer and then we get these endless meetings and the price is too high and they keep on going. And at the end, I make my final offer and it was an American company and it was just before the end of the fiscal year. You know how it goes yeah. on the NASDAQ. Yeah. Discount, discount, discount. So we, we, we put down 280K, right? A massive discount. Um, what happened? We lost. So I went back in and I said, why did we lose? I said, did we lose for price? No, no, no. Your competitor, we, we, we bought it at 950K. And that's the day I thought, bah, man. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But sometimes you need the dealing and wheeling of procurement. Uh, Bert yeah. just said he sometimes adds 15% on top of his price so he can give 15% discount. I know it. That's <laughs> true. True. <laughs> okay, I'll let you continue. The advantage of being involved before the official process is that... Um, you can make a difference in advance. Uh, you can right-size the requirements in your favor, or you can eventually uh, uh, make sure that there is no RFP process. Right? No. But, but by the way, Bert asks an interesting question. He says, yeah. okay, so how, how, what's the best approach to learn all the stakeholders? Do you ask it at your contact person? How, how do you get to know that? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, when you have uh, succeeded to identify a pain or a problem in your diagnose, you have asked a lot of questions and all of a sudden there is a pain coming on the table. I ask the question, who in your organization is suffering from this, right? Uh, because if you are asked who, who is responsible and you, you, you are meeting with the blocker, with the guy seeking all the attention, he will say, it's my project. 
Whereas if you're asking the question, who else is suffering from this? You get all the names of the stakeholders. Who has an interest in this particular project? Then you get the names of the stakeholders. If you ask who is responsible, it's me. I hope this was a good question and answer to uh, yeah. So Bruno, we have about nine minutes. So yeah. uh, you have some more stuff to say and I would like to have like five minutes. Yeah, it's my last, my last slide. Ah, um, we have two kind of uh, clients, the, the growing companies, the, 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 the not, not really the startups, but the ones already uh, earning money uh, and, and having the intention to become uh, a scale-up. And when I talk to them, uh, everything is fine as long as the, um, the founder is selling his baby. But the misery starts when they hire sales for the first time because they are uh, confronted with misrecruitments, with uh, never-ending onboardings. The misery is accumulated when they sign uh, partnerships because these partnerships seem to uh, be uh, love declarations. Uh, and, and when they go international, uh, it's equal to cash burning. Okay, So this is something specific what we hear from the growing companies. Uh, when we talk to the corporates, our other segments, uh, contrary to invent, uh, build, and accelerate, they wanna, uh, the corporates want to reinvent, rebuild, and reaccelerate. Uh, typically, when they move from one core business to another core business, or typically uh, they want to build one company after a merger and an acquisition, or when there is a new management installed, right? they want to they wanna, uh, leave their marks in the, in the, in the company, they want to do it different, they want to do it completely different compared to the, the previous management. And one of the most frequently uh, hurt ambitions is to build one revenue team. So breaking down the silos between sales, marketing and services. Um, that's another, um, let's say, request we, we got a lot, of the, a lot of times from our clients. In the end, what they want is to be more in control, forecast accuracy. That's the number two. We have an ongoing, on, an ongoing poll with CEOs. And the number two answer they gave us is forecast accuracy, right? The, the capability to predict exactly uh, our, our, uh, our future. And then, of course, win more and lose early. That's classic one. So better conversion. 